This podcast is recorded on Wurundjeri land. Our Stripes acknowledges the traditional owners of the land and pay our respect to elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Our Stripes, the Richmond Football Club podcast celebrating the many and varied cultures and communities of our club that make up our famous strip, the mighty yellow and black. I'm Rana Hussein, and here with me, as always, is my co-host Tiffany Cherry. Hello. <laughs> Today we have Karen Bryant, Chief Executive of Midsummer, with us to talk all things diverse genders and sexuality and the Richmond partnership with Midsummer. Welcome, Karen. Hi. Great to have you on board. That's great to be here. I'm going to um, kick off first with a footy question. Do you remember your first game of football that you watched? I don't know if it was my first. Um, I grew up with parents that were very uh, sports-loving. So there was always cricket on, there was always football on. Um, and so and we were in South Australia, so I was regularly going to the Sandville. Um, and um, so my earliest memories are, are sort of um, a duffel coat that was way too big for me. <laughs> yeah. um, what did, number did you have on your back? I don't remember, but it was, I guess in terms of it, the relevance, it was the Tigers. It was, I was a huge Glenelg fan. Um, and, um, you know, I remember just being, you know, so passionate to the point that, you know, the equivalent of the footy record in South Australia was completely shredded by the end of the game. Right, good. <laughs> I love a passionate supporter. So Adelaide clearly was your team growing up. Have we won you over a little bit? Actually, you've won me over a lot. Um, <laughs> and I don't, it's interesting if you reflect on, because I'm in mean, the partnership, obviously, um, you know, my love of the Tigers, it wasn't like, uh, well, Tigers in South Australia, Tigers in Melbourne. Um, but the partnership came about fairly soon after I moved to Melbourne. Um, and, uh, you know, everyone says you have to have a Melbourne team. And, um, yeah, I, I must say I've become incredibly fond of Richmond and watch all your games now. So let's talk about this partnership. In Towards the end of 2017, um, we solidified this partnership with Midsummer. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Sure. So I guess I should start with what Midsummer is. So um, Midsummer, we do work year round. We do a lot of capacity building within our communities, particularly sort of with arts and community groups all year round. Um, with mentorships and things like that. But the public face is a three-week, four-weekend festival that we do in summer each year. And that celebrates LGBTIQA plus cultures. Um, and that's very diverse, multiple communities, and the way they're celebrated is many ways. So, And there's lots of sporting events within that, as well as arts events. Um, and I think the partnership came across... We, we actually started... Um, uh, we have um, football teams who've been engaging with Midsummer for many, many years. The festival's over 30 years old. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, there seemed to be a real disparity between grassroots football where, you know, there's a, a, a quite a lot of engagement from members of our communities and elite sport, um, and particularly elite group sport. And, um, you know, because of obviously, you know, the, the, the huge love of communities and um, Australians have for AFL, um, and I also had a personal passion of it myself, um, there was a real, we were really keen to be engaging with an organisation that, um, you know, that could vision with us a time where 
Um, uh, you know, the, people don't have to make a choice between being an elite sports person and being their authentic, you know, authentic self. So, Karen, where did your passion for the LGBTIQA plus community come from? Uh, well, I, I am gay um, and I came out um, fairly young. Um, didn't actually work directly with the community. I think um, like um, many, uh, many people, you know, there's that sense of, um, you know, determination to get out there and, and, and live your life. Um, and for me, I didn't want that to be closeted in safe spaces. I wanted to be able to get out there and have and make a career. Um, I worked a lot in the mainstream in, in arts um, and um, it's really been sort of, but, you know, I did a lot of work in disability and Indigenous, um, a lot of work with young people, particularly young people at risk. Um, and it feels to me like this role with Midsummer has allowed me to come full circle because it's the first time I've actually said, no, I want to work specifically um, within the community that, or communities that I identify because it's, it's multiple communities. And just on that, can yeah. you go through what those communities are with that acronym? The alphabet soup of letters. Um, and I laugh at that because, you know, there is that um, often people talk about the letters just keep getting longer. Um, but that's about identity and the importance of diverse communities um, uh, wanting to be recognised and have their own identities um, visual, visible. Mm. Um, we often um, actually, rather than use all the letters, we often talk about um, being representative of people who live with shared experiences around diverse gender and sexuality. Um, I think it's a, um, a very broad um, way for everybody to um, quickly understand who we are engaging with. Um, but um, it also is important with regards to all of those letters that um, people can see that we are respectful of the way people choose to identify. Um, and, um, and that's an evolving thing, particularly young people often identify in different ways, words that were considered to be um, derogatory to one generation have been reclaimed mm. by another. Um, and um, that's where a lot of those letters came from. So, you know, gay was derogatory and was reclaimed um, fairly, you know, um, uh, early and in the struggles, I guess, um, for gays and lesbians. Um, a lot of young people have identified and reclaimed the word queer, whereas a lot of older members of our community might still consider that to be derogatory because they've been the target of a lot of um, hate around that word. And in regards to that, have you ever come across barriers yourself within uh, your passion for sports, football, and even within your working life, social life? I'm sure you have. And can you share perhaps the, the significant ones? Yeah. Um, with regards to sport, I guess it's not necessarily been targeted at me, but you hear a lot and you see a lot. Um, you know, we talked earlier about passion. Um, sometimes when people are passionate, they vocalise and um, and they'll use words that can be really quite hurtful. Um, and I think um, I think as society, we in general, we don't necessarily deal easily with difference, possibly because we don't understand difference or we don't think we see it or live with it on a daily basis. Um, and um, I always really look at how you look at inclusivity and, and build a society in an inclusive way around, you know, both celebrating and working out where the similarities are so you can connect with someone. But then the next step is actually being able to celebrate the differences as well. We hear um, from time to time from our uh, 
Will you tell me how I should phrase this? So um, from our queer supporters, is that yeah. a yeah. is that a kind of way I can say it? Absolutely. Uh, so we hear from time to time from our queer supporters who do tell us that while they love coming to the football, it's often an unsafe place or they might not feel psychologically safe. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about what that might mean? I mean, is it the kind of language that's being used? But what what does that actually mean? Yeah, there's a lot of talk in our communities about safe spaces. And I think, you know, that comes from a long history of discrimination and abuse. Um, and even though that might sometimes be softened, you know, the looks, the the turning away, the lack of engagement, you know, that people can have. Um, there are many ways that people can express disapproval. Um, and whilst communities have changed um, radically, um, and the Yes Vote was an example of that, it is only one part mm. of, um, you know, equality and discrimination. And, you know, there are huge parts of our communities that still feel um, unsafe in spaces. I hear talk, people talk about, you know, literally them being still knocked to the ground um, mm. and physically um, abused, if not verbally abused. Um, and um, if not that, it's just the subtlety of, you know, if, do you feel comfortable being able to take your partner's hand? Um, um, you know, members of our community often still hesitate a lot um, within uh, both their work and social spaces. Um, initially when you know not they may have come out to themselves but you know engaging with people just the word partner and, and talking about you know their lives and their significant families and um, we still don't see those things reflected often in day-to-day life in mm. you know in a way that um, you know really resonates I guess um, with inclusion. So for some people it might seem quite obvious what we can do to help create a community where everyone is included and accepted and feels safe. But from perhaps your perspective, which is obviously um, brought about by many different perspectives within your community, what are the what are some of the really key, easy things that we can do that we can implement to, to create this safe environment? Yeah, look, I, th- I, think, um, I think that's not one or one side's responsibility. And um, and again, there's multiple sides to this because, I mean, we do a lot of work with what we call intersectionality. So, you know, um, none, none of us face the world with one parts of our identity. Um, you know, whether that's from our cultural perspective, our gender, um, you know, w- whether we love football or soccer or, you know, there's we all have different things that we do and participate in. So, you know, I think in a lot of ways it's about, you know, engaging with people um, and um, conversations where, um, you know, uh, uh, storytelling and connections can be made um, broadly and welcoming difference. Um, you know, that can be as, you know, as... Um, little things like um you know and, and it's again it's in a broader sense with aflw coming in and lots of families and children as as well as um mm. uh, a broadening visual identity i suppose for um, the lesbian communities and and bisexual communities um but you know the it's it's understanding what are the differences and needs and addressing those and just having dialogues and and, and opening yourself up to telling stories and getting to know people because discrimination usually starts because someone will say well i don't know any of them um, and um, actually, you, you, we do. We mm. and, and it's it's you know it's your sisters, your brothers, your neighbours, mm. your doctor. You know it's that old story, but it's true. Mm. Um, and it's um, you know we we do a lot of work with members of our community who have disability, members of our community who are indigenous, members of our community who are refugees. 
um, and the complexity of, of issues of identity go way beyond just sexuality and um, trying to you know model uh, events and experiences where everybody's welcome. You mentioned AFLW and I do want to get to that but there would be people out there and there and we have had those comments and particularly when we did partner with Midsummer around you know why should football get involved in in inverted commas political arguments or um, alliances and I, I guess I'm interested in what you think about that um, why should football partner with a Midsummer or any organization like that sure um, well, I guess there's a practical engagement. You know, Richmond's attendance at our Carnival Day, which is huge and, you know, has over 100,000 people. Um, and you just see, you know, families with little children, teenagers, um, young adults, right up to seniors. Um, and so many people love engaging with Richmond. You know, I mean, I was looking through some of those photos just in the few day, last few days and seeing, you know, um, the handballs and, you know, the, and big smiles. And, you know, so there's that practical engagement from a Richmond point of view that, you know, is obviously promote, promoting um, engagement with Richmond. Um, but I think we're the common, because all of our partnerships are based on values. And um, we talked a lot with Richmond around um, what those values were. And, you know, I guess the crux of it was around that, um, you know, there's there's a lot of research out, out there that still says that, you know, if, um, you know, if, if a young person, and it's not just about young people, so, you know, and people can come out at any age, but, um, you know, particularly in the development, I guess, of someone who's likely to be an elite sports person, which means that they're probably developing those skills as a, as a, a sports person young. And they are maybe grappling with their sexual identity or their gender identity. And, um, you know, you might be thinking at that point about whether you're coming out and you might personally feel comfortable with who you are and your identity. And then you're deciding whether or not you want to be out in the broader world. Um, and there's a lot of research out there that shows that for a lot of young people, um, the decision to be out and to be a member of a group sport particularly can be a really challenging one. There's a lot of um, uh, young uh, gay sportsmen who have talked about often deciding to go to solo sport um, if they want to be able to be their true authentic self. Um, but there's um, some broader challenges often for them to continue in group sport. And I, you know, we want to envisage and, and work with Richmond um, to envisage a future where um, you know, the, the most talented sports people, whether they're male, female or, or any gender in the future, um, don't have to make that choice um, about one part of their identity or another, but really can be themselves. And you, and in the end, we're going to get better sports people mm. if they can be their authentic selves, if mm. they feel that they can be celebrated for who they are. So peeling this back to a personal uh, level, because this is also yeah. about you, how was it for you coming out? How did you come to that decision? Did you um, did you consult people? Was it organic? And what was the reaction of those close to you? Yeah, and look, that's probably a really good question in terms of why now I've come full circle to that importance of visibility. Um, I, um, I grew up in a... Um, a community that was, um, you know, and certainly don't want to put that down down that community, but it was a, a, a lower socioeconomic environment. Um, no members of my family had ever been to university. 
um, and um, and so you know there were certain expectations of life choice. You know, so for example, I remember doing work experience in a bank in year ten, and I think it was my mum's biggest disappointment that I didn't go straight into a bank job. <laughs> but of course, you know, you can look back now and go, they were those jobs were not <laughs> as safe as people thought back then. Redundant. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, there I don't remember seeing. You know, and again, it's that thing of, uh, you know, um, where the people say, well, I didn't know anyone who was gay. I didn't see anyone around me. I didn't see my experience being reflected anywhere, whether that was in family members, um, extended family, people down the road, other kids, in school, teachers. I didn't see it anywhere. And so I, the graduate, the sort of coming out process for me was gradual because I didn't have a reference point. Um, and... You know, I, I guess, you know, you, you feel the feelings and the experiences and you're trying to work out what they are within yourself. I didn't feel like I had anyone to speak to about it. Um, you know, initially, it wasn't angst-ridden. I think it was just that dawning, you know, what is this? Am I different? And then you start looking for reference points. The only reference point I had that I saw on television was Mardi Gras, and I did not identify with that at all. Um, and, you know, it was like... That probably put my coming out back a little bit, which was that sort of sense of, which is not, no um, negative reflection on Mardi Gras in any sense at all, but it was just when you only see one thing and, and it was just that much and it was, well, if that's not me, um, who am I? Um, I did have, when I, I still was reasonably young when I did, um, I was involved heavily in the arts and um, that was, as I moved into broader art psych circles, that allowed me those reference points and to kind of go, ah, there's a community here I can of people that I can actually understand and explore. Um, but um, I think it was very difficult for my parents, particularly my mother. Um, um, she made it very clear that it was a conversation that was not to be had. Um, and um, it's probably one of my biggest regrets is um, she passed away and we never managed to resolve that. Um, and it probably brought about a huge, well it did, a huge physical distance between us. Um, um, my dad, however, um, uh, whilst we've never sat down and had that heart to heart chat, um, he's 92, um, over probably only over the last decade, has really embraced myself, my partner, um, and um, it's sort of, and I guess it's again that sort of sense of just being, and that it's it's part of who I am, and it's part of the relationship that needed to be understood if we were to have a real relationship. Did anything happen? What shifted for your dad? Did is it just time? Oh, it. I had probably made a bit of a distance it's it's that sort of thing if you feel a little bit of a rejection you you, you tend to particularly when you're young um you know young people's angst is renowned across the world um and um uh, i probably put a physical distance as well as certainly an emotional or professional one i was working in an industry my parents didn't know a lot about um i know they were proud of me but i just physically created a bit of distance um, when my mum was really ill, I think I worked really hard to just physically be around, um, and, and she was she was particularly sick for about a decade. But particularly towards the end, um, uh, you know, my dad was really the carer, and you see that. And I'm an someone who really feels you know empathy for people. And it was that I I need to be there. I have a responsibility to be there. Um, and whilst I was never able to re 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 resolve the 
the elephant in the room. Um, and it's a pretty big elephant. Um, I that was the beginning in a sense of a relationship with my dad as well mm. and then when she passed away I really felt a desire to connect we don't I don't have a large family that um, I have a very large family that's not um, uh, a blood relatives but not a very large um, blood relative family and it was like well my brother's old enough to be my dad I didn't know him growing up so in a sense it was like I, I need I don't want to lose the opportunity with my dad that I lost with my mum. So based uh, on your experiences, can you provide to any of our listeners out there who do identify as LGBTIQA+, who haven't come out, who perhaps want to, is there any advice that you can give to them? Yeah, I think, I mean, the the most important that I would say is that um, being truth, you know, the old thing, be truth to thine own self, um, being true to yourself and being, and that's an internal thing. I think the first thing is, being comfortable with who you are internally. Um, I, I don't believe that, you, you, that that comes from external gratification. Mm. It certainly makes it easier if you know you're not, you can be in a safe space mm. and you can see um, your own, you know, it's, it's it's like talking to people with young families and you sort of say, well, the kids sometimes say, why, you know, I've got two mums, I'm different. Or a young person that is challenging um, their, their gender or, or sexuality why am I different Um, and we're not yet in a situation where you see that reflected easily in storybooks and film and television Mm. so that external thing is important but in um, when in the absence of that as we're all working towards seeing Mm. that change Mm. um, that you know that sense of being comfortable with yourself um, you might put that off but something's missing Um, but the actual coming out you know the the naming it that's personal mm-hmm. and I you know there are a lot of people who sort of say well you know if you, if you, you know people should come out that you're, you're young you're, you know you you, you you know you know you're gay just come out it's a personal journey and that journey can be easy um, or it can be long and there's no right or wrong there but I certainly would be saying you know seek out um, other people whose journeys and stories will be different to your own um, but that, um, you know, who can um, give you a sense of perspective that you're not alone. Bringing it back to football a little bit, often when we talk about uh, queer communities and football, talk often turns to, I wonder when there's going to be an, an openly gay player. Yeah. I mean, that's usually what I hear anyway. I mean, how important is that? Is that still the benchmark? Are we still waiting for that moment or have we moved beyond that no I think we're still very much waiting for it um, and, the, and the, the difficulty there is does that person become the poster you know um, you know and we've seen it a little bit with AFLW um, or even know, with Jason Ball if you take it back yeah, to the community yeah. level um, and you need those leaders um, and when you go back again to that visibility and, and we need those leaders we need those people who will you know be visible but you also you know I, I feel sorry that it, it it becomes about that one person when it's such a bigger issue. You know, my thing is I'm waiting for the day when you know a group of number people. of people yes. come yes. out. It's not exactly. an issue, um, and certainly I think it helps that. Yes. Yeah, it's absolutely, spread, isn't it? Um, um, but you know, and I, you know, it's it's like the first AFLW um, 
Best Player Award because um, you know it's not named yet. We don't have a Bradlow as such, but um, that um, you know the first Aaron with Erin and you know the, the the media attention when she kissed her wife mm. and the fact that she was talking about her wife um, and and it's like. Really? She's a wonderful sports person. And like, every person refers to the closest person in their life and thanks them for Absolutely. Yes. And, um, you know, so, but I guess why we're still waiting is, for me, it's more about why hasn't, why doesn't it happen? And I think that speaks more to the challenges ahead um, for an environment where, um, you know, uh, the, the best player at Richmond, the most exciting young player coming up in Richmond, feels comfortable to be able to be whoever they want to be. Mm. I'm interested in your thoughts around AFLM versus AFLW in terms of people feeling comfortable to be their authentic selves and and play the game. Um, It's clear that AFLW is much more uh, receptive to people from the LGBTQI community. Why do you think that is? What's the dynamic there? Yeah, and it's interesting. I'm not sure that it's that it's more receptive to um, our communities because we have large numbers of people playing um, all sorts of sport um, and across genders. Um, maybe it's more that um, you know there's there's certainly you know on mass been a, a, a much more visible number of out women, um, which I certainly have celebrated. Um, it doesn't seem to have had yet an impact on the environment of broader elite male sport. Um, and I think that's a broader issue than AFL, but it's certainly something that, you know, AFL is the area that, you know, we're choosing to really try and engage with. Um, I can't answer the question of why, um, you know, I guess what you're asking is why, why mm. is there a thing that makes women um, it easier for a woman to be out than a man? Um, you know, there's so many, I mean, then you go back to gender norms and there's a whole lot of research around that and what it is to be a woman and what it is to be a man. And, and also that's binary and sexuality is way, and gender is way more complex than black and white and Mm. and two genders. Um, but, um, I think, you know, again, it just comes down for me about, um, why it is still so important that we talk about these things. And again, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, complex sophisticated multiple integrated argument I'm, I'm much I'm as interested around who are the most marginalized voices in our communities um, and how we you know how we hear their stories and how we engage with them because you know they could be the next elite mm. um, forward or defense player for it and um, um, and how we engage you know people across you know multiple parts of their identities which is why we do a lot of cultural work um, that's um, not just about LGBTIQ, that's the, the space in which we start from, but also, you know, how we make sure that the the most marginalised voices in our, in our communities are heard and engaging in society. Perhaps that's a great segue to my question, which is, um, what are your plans for Midsummer? What is it that you haven't implemented yet that you'd love to? Yeah, um, so I'm almost three years in to having started with Midsummer, and when we started... It was a much more passive festival, so it was what was called an open access event. So you wanted to register a, a, a sport, a, an AFL game, or um, or someone wanted to, you know, um, uh, register a, a, a book reading or a theatre work. They could do that. It was much more a sort of a marketing umbrella with a big celebration called Carnival and Pride March. 
Um, we have now become much more active. So we're really about um, being an active player in developing queer cultures in Melbourne and also nationally. And that means investing in um, events and storytelling and, you know, and the voices that aren't being held and making things happen. And we have mentorships and um, um, partnering with groups to get works and books and, and theatre works written about diverse families. So the things that aren't there so that to make these things more visible. Um, I think um, visibility is a really big thing. Um, and, you know, so many people said to me, oh, Carnival's the biggest day, I'm, like, I'm straight, I'm, you know, I'm heterosexual, I can't go to that. And saying, yes, you can. This is an event for everybody. We want to tell our stories, but we want to tell our stories with everybody welcome. And so I think the next stages are around tightening that visibility and making um, everybody feel welcome and sharing stories and certainly in the context of being here today around um, you know um, uh, engaging with uh, organizations like Richmond so that um, the people who work at Richmond can be themselves because it's not just about the players on the field mm. but also um, certainly creating an environment where um, you know it, a lot of the challenges and perceptions and biases that currently exist and often they're unconscious we can we all hold biases that we would say we don't, but they're locked away in our minds. How we can help together bring that change. It's so important, isn't it? Because even talking to you today, I find that, you know, my language is clunky or I'm a bit unsure about how to talk about certain communities. And I feel like I'm relatively, um, oh, I understand this space a little bit. Um, and, and yet I still struggle with it. So I, I think it's so such an important message, just that comfortability and normalising of the fact that we're all so different. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, I, I think we've, uh, we've come a long way. And as you say, c communicating how we feel and you talk about allowing people to be who they are. If you think about how much time is wasted for a person to prevent being who they are before they even come to work or being at work, when that could be productive uh, energy put into their actual work and what they're doing, um, and obviously enjoying their lives and, and, and all of that. So yeah. it's been amazing talking to you, Karen. I think um, Rana and I certainly been looking forward to it, but uh, yeah, just listening to your story and, and the work that you've been doing, congratulations on all of that and, and everyone that you work with, all the work that you're doing, and, uh, and we wish you strength and support in continuing to do the great work that you're doing. Thank you and I look forward to celebrating many Tiger wins this year. So Karen, a question that we do ask all of uh, our guests on Our Stripes is if you could describe a picture that you have that's something that you reference quite often or that you think about that's your favourite picture that really depicts uh, who you are or, or a big part of who you are and where you've come from. Can you describe that for us? Yeah, I mean it's there's a, there is a sort of mental image that often comes to mind, particularly if I'm stressed or worried about something. And um, and it, it is that, you know, um, and it's probably a common one that a lot of people have of something, a place that's really calm and it's, you know, laying on a, um, a place that's just a bed of leaves by a river with a waterfall and trees. But I think probably the most meaningful thing is I'm sort of alone there. And, um, you know, having, you know, not prepared for that, that, that sort of answer you know if I'd overthought it I might have tried to think of something much more relevant but it's interesting to me that that alone space was my safe space 
and that um, you know I'd love to be able to change that safe space because I love people and I love mm. talking to people and and engaging with people and um, you know maybe that reflects the challenge of you know a safe space being a place with lots of people as opposed to the safe space that for most of my life visually has been a place which I'm there alone. Thank you so much Karen I just want to punch the air because we've spoken about intersectionality we've spoken about gender binaries in the you know brick walls of old pump road oval this used to be also the old changing rooms by the way or the, this was the boardroom so we're sitting above <laughs> where they used to you know pump weights and uh, and where the the men used to obviously dictate Times what they are changing <laughs> Thank so, you so much. So, yeah, this you've been listening then again. So thanks again, Karen, and um, for all of our listeners, this is a, our Stripes, a podcast of the Richmond Football Club, and stay tuned for another edition coming soon.